Welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel's across the way. Hi, guys. Uh, it's late in the week, which typically that means we start previewing Oregon's upcoming game on Saturday. And this week it's uh, taking on the 3-3 three and three UCLA Bruins from the Rose Bowl. Uh, both teams have losing records in the Pac-12. Oregon's 1-3 and three in Pac-12 play. They've lost three of their last four. UCLA... Uh, they are one and two in Pac-12 play, and they are coming off uh, losing three of their last four games as well. So this is a you know just like last time when Oregon and uh, UCLA met in the Rose Bowl. Um, this is a game where it's make or break probably for their seasons. Uh, for both teams, you know, in 2014 when Oregon came down here and into UCLA and played, it was more of which team was still going to remain in, in the college football playoff hunt because they both had were coming off losses and you know the, obviously the, the loser would basically be eliminated and Oregon won and went on to, to get to the championship game. Things are a lot different in both programs from from now uh, and, and then. Um, but both teams trying to get to a bowl game, trying to find ways to, to manufacture wins, and uh, it's a pivotal game for both games. You know, both teams. I think you know, for Oregon, you look at this game, you look at Utah, you look at Washington, you look at probably Arizona. This is probably the second most winnable game on that schedule of of games that I just listed off going in, into this game, even even without Justin Herbert at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one thing that Oregon has going here is that UCLA has like a historically bad run defense. They're actually allowing 313 yards per game That's on bad. the ground, which is unbelievably bad. I mean, Oregon has a really good run offense, and I think they average about 240 yards rushing for, for a little context there. UCLA cannot stop the run. A lot of that has to do with having faced – um, Khalil Tate in Arizona last week. I think the the Wildcats ran for 457 yards in that game, which yeah. is like, I mean, kind of mind. You had a quarterback run for over 300. Yeah, no. So, so they, they, this is a this is a defense that you know if if you're looking to find the best possible matchup imaginable, this is kind of it for Oregon right now with where their passing game is at. To have a team that basically is incapable or has been incapable of stopping the run up next on the schedule. It, it probably couldn't have come at a better time, especially because we're, we're talking about where, where Oregon's at offensively, and then just the matchup is, is perfect. So this certainly gives Oregon, I think, a little bit of optimism coming in. The, the other reality is, though, that UCLA's offense is, is considered the best in the conference from a statistical basis. So it, Oregon may be able to run the ball and have success. I, in fact, I think they will because UCLA's just been so bad running against the, against the run. But the Oregon defense is going to be, you know, in a spot here where, where they're going to have to make some stops as well. And you know, once again, I, I'm just not sure Oregon offensively, even if they're able to run it like we think they might be able to, is, is capable of scoring more than maybe three or four touchdowns in this game. Um, and it, it'll come down to that Oregon defense. Can they get the stops? Uh, if you're listening to us on Facebook Live and you want to join in on the discussion um, today uh, as we preview this UCLA game, go ahead, drop your comments in into the comments section. Um, we'll throw your comments in uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll answer a couple or, or discuss a couple of your thoughts um, here and there as, as we go on. Um, if you're curious how you can do that, all you gotta do is just go on facebook.com slash Oregon 247. Give us a like. You'll get notifications of when we go live on Facebook and you can join in and, and drop your comments in the, in the comments section and, uh, we can 
use those and, and get your, your input thrown into the podcast as well. Um, one other note, as we continue to talk UCLA, we, we're also on iTunes now. You can go to iTunes and search just for the Duck Territory podcast, and you'll find us there. It's free um, if, if you're looking for another way to listen to us. But, yeah, Eric, you, it's, you, you brought up interesting stats in terms of I don't know if I can remember a team being so good offensively like UCLA is, mm-hmm. uh, at least throwing the football. I, I think you could argue that they're not very good running the they're, ball. They're, they've, they've run the ball the least of anyone in the conference and have one of the worst averages. And at the same time, have one of the worst defenses in the country. It, it's it's truly like one or the other. Like you 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 can't be decent at both. You you know you're literally really good at one thing and literally really bad at another. Well, Matt, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, Oregon has kind of been that way a couple of times in recent memory as well, but probably not to this extent. I mean, the, the running stats are kind of absurd, um, to be, to be frank, and it, it'll be interesting to see how Oregon chooses to attack this. I mean, we saw them against Stanford at one point basically run the ball on 25 consecutive plays. I would not be surprised if we see something similar, and honestly, would, that might be the best way that, just, just, I mean, not to be too critical again of the quarterback situation, but, we, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that Braxton Burmeister or Taylor Alley is capable of throwing the ball on a consistent basis and, and keeping this offense moving through the air. So I, if I'm calling the game, I'm, I'm giving the ball to Royce Freeman and Ken I Benoit as, as much as possible. And I'm letting those guys just go to work because they've proven, even last week they ran for 275 yards um, and about six yards of carry. They've proven that they're capable of doing that work. I don't know why you would take the ball out of their hands. I just pound it and pound it and pound it and hope that, that you can run some clock and, and keep it kind of a low-scoring game, but in, one in which you're able to move the ball effectively on the ground. Yeah, a couple of items of note to talk about for Oregon heading into this game on the injury front, on the starting front. Um, Willie Taggart this week came out and just blatantly said Braxton Burmeister is going to be our starter mm-hmm. uh, for this game. On the depth chart, it lists Taylor Alley or Burmeister, but um, it sounds like the staff has, has made a decision midweek to, to roll with Burmeister instead of letting it play out through the week like they did last week for Stanford, uh, like they did two weeks before that against Washington State. Um, they're kind of picking their guy. Maybe it's a sign of, hey, we've got confidence here. Maybe it's just another way to, to show um, confidence in Burmeister. Um, you know, that's kind of been the common theme when we spoke with offensive players, offensive coaches this week leading up to this UCLA game, uh, building the confidence up for Burmeister, uh, putting him in situations that he can play. Um, they've made the decision to start Burmeister. And then on top of that, I, I think it's fairly safe. We're not going to see two starters on offense play and probably a, a, another key player as well. Yeah, we mentioned the running game and how effective it has been. That it, it appears pretty clear at this point that neither Tyrell Crosby, Oregon starting left tackle, or Jake Pasarczyk, Oregon starting right guard, will play in this game. Both um, left Saturday's game uh, at Stanford with concussions. Neither has practiced this week. I think uh, they were at least not at practice we, while we were there. Yeah, but that I would be incredibly I, rare. Yeah, for it's, them. A, it's a pretty clear indication to me that if, if a player, I don't know if there's been an instance this this fall that a player has not seen practicing on Tuesday or Wednesday has played. Um, I know Royce a couple times missed Tuesday and practiced Wednesday and played, but I would be very... He was also not dealing with a concussion either. Right, and I, I just based on the you know Dylan Mitchell and, and kind of Taylor Alley a couple weeks ago missing 
uh, time because of a concussion and, and kind of the timeline to return. I would be very surprised if they play. And then another name in, in this run game here, Tony Brooks James, also suffered a concussion, also has not been seen at practice, and I think also pretty clearly won't play. So that's, you know, you talk about this run game being the priority. That's that's three pretty you know pretty key pieces they're missing. Um, fortunately, Oregon has tremendous depth at both positions. You know, you, you slide in Brady Aiello, a guy who started 10 games last year. You slide in Jacob Capra, a guy they're really, they've been really high on for a while, a guy that, you know, if they don't have some experienced guy in Prasarchik, probably would have been starting to begin with. And then obviously Royce Freeman and, and Ken Ivanwall and, and Darian Felix will, will fill in fine at running back, but certainly not full strength um, in the run game this week. I, I think it's also of note, I mean, we've said that I think – Oregon's going to run for a lot of yards against UCLA, and the potential is there to run for a lot of yards. So you also need to re- realize, though, that Crosby and that Pisarchik injury could be a big issue for Oregon because I don't think Stanford's Stanford's defense is, is statistically bad, but I think they're a little bit better than their statistics show. Um, but at the same time, they're still you know giving up a lot of yards on the ground. Oregon could not move the ball. In the second half of Stanford, I think they had just maybe under a hundred yards of, of total offense in, in the third and fourth quarters, and I, I think ironically enough, I think that's because look, we knew they couldn't throw the ball, and then they lose their Outland Trophy candidate left tackle and Crosby and a senior in Pisarchik. Um They just couldn't move, and so maybe it's guys, you know, being thrust into tough spots and not having, you know. I don't want to say being prepared, but you know, it's having to go in a, a difficult situation uh, can be can be tough for some people. Um, maybe a week of preparation will have them working at a higher level. Um, but I, I kind of wonder just how good is Oregon's running game going to be with without Crosby and Pistarchik in the lineup? I mean, I, I know Alio started ten games last year, um, you know, but at the same time. The, the half that we saw them play, they didn't, you know, the entire offensive line, not just those two guys, right. the entire offensive line didn't perform well. Is that Stanford? Is that a one game well, off? Or is that kind of what we could be seeing on, on Saturday against UCLA? A very, a very small counter to that point is that Stanford did receive a pretty big boost there with That's Harrison true. Phillips and Peter Kelliam Belay, I don't know how to pronounce his name, line, inside linebacker returned as well. So I don't, I don't know how much that impacted things, but certainly Stanford was a little different up front in that half and Oregon was a little different. Um, both for, for decent reasons. Um, Scott Robinson asks, uh, do you think Taggart will figure out to run a bubble screen with Nelson to spread the defense out more or just run think, the ball 20 times in a row in the game? I don't think they can run bubble screens because they don't have the personnel to run bubble screens. I mean, there's a reason why Oregon's recruiting at, is targeting receivers 6'2 or taller. Isaiah Crocker, Devin Williams, Chase Cota, Miles Battle, Trayshawn Harrison, Warren Thompson. Yeah. You know, all those guys are either committed or have Oregon conceivably in their top two or three, if not number one. Mm-hmm. And all of those guys are six two or taller yeah. and are described as physical players. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Oregon has the size on the perimeter right now to run screens, to run bubble screens and, and when we've seen them try it's not because of lack of effort. They just get man and they get ran over by you know because you've you've got a five nine receiver and a five eight receiver trying to block for a five seven receiver and you know they're going up against safeties and, and taller cornerbacks and that are older you know because you got true freshmen and, and they just don't have the, the the physicality out there right now. As, I think as much as they'd like to run it, they they would, but 
They just don't have the size. And it is worth mentioning twice last week, um, Oregon flagged for, for blocking penalties by receivers on the outside that I think one at least negated a first down run. Yes. Um, so certainly, certainly they're, they're, they're kind of limited in terms of what they're able to do. I, I do think you'll see them throw the ball more underneath than, than what they tried last week. I know obviously they weren't trying to stretch the field too much. And the one time they did, it was a, an interception, but, um, Kathy Damon, hope Herbert can play in this game. Uh, he won't. He will not be playing in this game. I think it's pretty safe to say. We, we should mention that uh, Herbert was seen at practice today once again. He's practiced each of the last three days in uniform. Um, also worth noting today, he actually threw one pass. <laughs> it's not ooh, one pass, but it's 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 an improvement because on on Tuesday he did not throw a pass. He just practiced handing off. Today he did throw from the twenty minutes we saw. One short pass. I'm not sure if that's considered improvement or not, but it's certainly not a bad thing. I, I do think you have to temper expectations. It, it's hard to believe he'll be back, maybe even for Utah. But it, it, once again, good sign the guy's practicing. I wouldn't read too much into it quite yet. Yeah, he's still. I talked about it in the Wednesday's daily dose that we saw him practice on Tuesday. We saw him again. Uh, Wednesday after that article went up live. I just don't think he's close yet. You know, maybe another week, maybe another two weeks changes things. Um, I think he will play this. He will play again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think it's very certain that he will play uh, at home against Arizona um, in about a month. But is he going to play sometime before that? That's where it gets really dicey and, and if I'm not a doctor, and I don't like speculating on injuries, but just seeing him run, you know, and seeing him operate, he's not close in terms of playing this week for sure. Next week, you know, it, it, I would, you know, just from an appearance standpoint, doubtful. The hard thing with – so first off, it's it's not his throwing shoulder that has the broken collarbone, which is good. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, broke his shoulder, his, his right collarbone, which is his throwing arm. That's why he's out for the year. Justin Herbert, I think it's it's left, which means it's not the army throwing with. But you also have to realize you use two hands to play play the position. Basically, every snap and the majority of the things you're doing are with two hands, catching the snap with two hands, dropping back two hands in the football. It, it, and and it, once again, if you don't have a healthy shoulder and you get hit, you can't take a hit on it. You don't want that happening either because you want it to heal fully. You don't want him to, unfortunately, kind of see what happened with you know Dennis Dixon a few years back, where a guy's hurts it again, hurts it again, and is is out for a longer period of time. So yeah, I, I would certainly not expect Herbert to play this week. I think maybe maybe the odds go up a little bit against Utah, but again, probably wouldn't be super confident in that taking place um, as well. Um, let's keep talking about I guess this this upcoming game here. I think uh, UCLA offensively is is really good in the passing game, very limited. In the run game, we talked about that a little bit. One interesting thing I saw looking at their stats, right now UCLA has a different receiver leading the Pac-12 in receptions, yards, and touchdowns, which is kind of kind of absurd. One of those receivers will not be playing. He's out for the season. That's Caleb, that's Wilson. Caleb Wilson. Probably their best receiver. Probably their best receiver. But they still have uh, a couple of other guys that are that are very quality players that, you know, with, with how much they've thrown the ball, have put up some pretty big video game numbers. Josh Rosen, we all know the name. He's, he's he was a big time recruit when he came in. Um, probably hasn't lived up to the hype, and honestly, hasn't been very good in Pac-12 play. I think he's thrown four touchdowns and six interceptions. So, once again, this is a highly rated quarterback that Oregon is facing on Saturday. They've already faced Josh Allen, who you know at the time people considered maybe the number one overall draft pick. But Rosen, kind of like Josh Allen, has shown he's turnover prone. He had three interceptions against Arizona. I think once again, this is 
an opportunity for this the secondary to maybe make some plays, um, force some turnovers. Something that they started off the year doing really well. I think they had seven turnovers in their first three games um, on interceptions. But just one in Pac-12 play that came last week when Diamande Lenore um, picked off Keller Christ in the end zone. Um, this is one where I think if you can force some turnovers, it could go in a big way in, in pulling what I think is considered an upset. Yeah, last week Arizona beat UCLA, and this was a deal where they – it was a game in, in which – Josh Rosen didn't throw a touchdown pass, which is very rare. He threw three interceptions, and the Bruins, I think, lost, uh, what was it? 47 to 30. You know, three score, a three score game. You know, this was, you know, three scores, three turnovers. Mm -hmm. You know, Oregon to win this game, there's a couple things they just absolutely have to be able to accomplish if, they want to be able to walk away with a victory. And first of all, it's something what Taggart said on Wednesday, that that's the most important thing in his book with Braxton Burmeister is take care of the football. Mm-hmm. Oregon cannot afford to turn the ball over. And then secondly, this defense needs to create turnovers, whether it's by you know turnover on downs, fumbles, interceptions, muff punts, muff, you know, muff kickoffs. Right. Somehow, some way, they need to flip – the field position. They need to create turnovers, get extra possessions, because that's what Crystal Ball, Oregon's core offensive coordinator, said during earlier in this week that I wish we had more possessions uh, in that Stanford game because we were moving the ball, we just didn't get it a lot. And you know, some of that's on them for not executing on, on third downs and converting and, and turning drives into you know more than three and outs. But to win games, you need to take care of the football. You need to get the football a couple extra times. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, Oregon's got to play a clean game. It, it, it seems so cliche-ish, mm-hmm. but it, it's so simple for this team because of the way that they're constructed right now that they can't turn the ball over, they've got to create turnovers, and the penalties have to stop. You, you, you do those three things, you're going to have a chance to beat UCLA because while they have an, an elite quarterback in Josh Rosen, they've got a couple guys at receiver – uh, and, and, and Jordan Lastly and Darren Andrews and, you know, they've got a couple other guys too that have kind of really shown well. You know, Duck fans will know, De- um, uh, Theo Howard, mm-hmm. um, who, who was at one time committed to Oregon. Right. Um, they've got some talent there, but they don't run the ball. No. They, they don't stop running, you know, teams from running the football. Their pass defense isn't necessarily the greatest in the world either. You know, they're beatable, mm-hmm. but as, I think Taggart said, and you know, this is Pac-12 football, and, and, and teams aren't just going to lay over and die like a Southern Utah or, or like a Wyoming. You know, they don't have such you know, the, the deficiencies aren't so wide and and and, and bad. They've, you know, they're not just going to let you you know beat. They're not going to beat themselves mm-hmm. essentially. So Oregon can't afford that. And that's that's what's gotten them out of the Stanford game. They were going to lose the Stanford game regardless, but it got so bad because self-inflicted wounds. That's why they. Lost to UC, to Washington State. They could have beat, in my opinion, Washington State, but self-inflicted wounds cost them that game, and it's, and it's the reason why they lost to Arizona State too. The, the penalty thing is is becoming, I think, very concerning. I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels that way. I mean, you for for a few games to commit ten penalties early on in the season, okay, maybe it's you know it's rust, maybe it's some sort of weird trend, maybe the officials didn't like you in that game, and it. But for it to be the, the case now, 
Basic game after every game, game after six, game. Six out of seven games, I think, have had nine or more penalties. And I think five out of seven have had 100 yards in penalties and more. I mean, that's that's ludicrous, and it's really, really hard to win football games when you're doing that. And it'll be interesting to see if, if they're able to turn around this this game. I mean, the one game where they did uh, were not flagged a lot was Wyoming, and it was probably their best showing of the season. So um, certainly that has to continue to be a priority. I, I don't know exactly how you guard against that. I mean, I, I'm assuming that they've been doing a lot. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of measures that they've been going through to try to limit those, but whatever it is, it doesn't seem like it's really worked for you. Well, we have a question here from uh, Kevin Brito. If Benoit Freeman and TBJ keep getting stopped in the run game, why not give a few uh, Felix a few more snaps to get his confidence up for the future? And what, what about the uh, running back talent coming, uh, incoming talent? I think he's talking about next recruiting class. Um, I, I, I don't think they've consistently been stopped. I think the running backs have actually run pretty well this year. Um, but sure, I mean, if, if say Freeman and, and Benoit are entirely ineffective in this game for whatever reason, which I probably wouldn't anticipate happening, just because UCLA is not very good defensively and, and those guys have run the ball pretty well pretty much every game this year, then yeah, I, I don't see why you wouldn't give the ball to Darian Felix. I, speaking with Coach Dante Pimpleton yesterday, it was pretty clear that, that he's going to get some run this game and probably more touches in, in more crucial situations than he's had all season just because of the Tony Brooks-James um, injury. And, and and frankly, he's looked pretty good this year. I think Darian Felix has probably been a little bit of a surprise. I don't know exactly if we knew what we, they, they had in him, but he's he's a guy that certainly looked serviceable. And um, going forward, he, C.J. Verdell, Tony Brooks-James is will return next year and, and probably seems likely to be kind of the, the feature running back, but you never know. Um, and, and then you've got yeah, C.J. Verdell, Cyrus Habibi, Lakeo, who's currently on the team, both of which are redshirting. Um, and then a couple guys in next year's class, and Travis Dye, Troy, Troy Dye's younger brother, and Jamal Elliott, a, a really talented running back out of North Carolina. I think out of that group, you're, you're going to have certainly options going forward. I think the one thing is that you don't really have a, a big power back in that group, with right. the exception of B.B. Lakeo, and we haven't really seen him play enough yet. I wouldn't be surprised if Felix has his career high in carries. I think I think it's pretty against, likely against UCLA. I mean, I I, 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 would, I would say that's reasonable. I don't know what that is. I think um, it's like I think he's had five carries or something like that. But I mean, he's played the last two games and, um, or I, I should I should say three games. Right. He's Given he's had count. eight he's had eight carries six for sixty three yards and a touchdown. You know, he has technically the highest average <laughs> per carry on the team, but you know, it's also understanding that he's. Had way less carries than everybody else. Um, with Tony Brooks James out, I think it's very clear they're going to need a third running back. I think, you know, the third back, you know, whether that was Kanai or whether that was TBJ, this season has typically gotten anywhere from six to ten carries. And I think that's kind of what Darian Felix is going to have. And especially because the passing game, you know, the question marks there. Yeah, you're going to see him play. And I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon decides to play another true freshman, whether that be C.J. Verdell um, yeah. or if it's maybe Cyrus Habibi-Lakio. Um, Habibi-Lakio traveled with Oregon last week to, to the Stanford game. Uh, that, to me, tells me he's probably in line to play ahead of Verdell. Um, I, I would wonder maybe if that's just because of staggering. Um well, I actually asked Pimpleton about that yesterday. He said that, that um, Habibi Lakio traveled because it's close to home and that he wasn't going to play, basically. So I, 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 I don't, we don't know right. if Verdell's ahead, but Verdell's finally healthy, which, which right. is good because he'd been out. With well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think if, if, I think Verdell is ahead of 
uh, Cyrus, but CJ and Felix are very similar. Yeah. And you kind of want to create some some staggering there of years. Um, so it wouldn't make sense to me if they played one of the, you know. Yeah. Because they're going to need a fourth guy. Yeah, they only have three guys right now. And they only have got three. Um, you know, ideally they probably would like to redshirt both, but if another injury happens, someone's going to have to play. Um, we'll have to see who that is. Um, but Felix is going to get his carries. And, you know, the season isn't lost, though. That's the mindset that I've tried to talk about. And you know, players and coaches have talked about this week in games is that they still have five more games left to play uh, in the regular season, three of which are at home. They need two games to get to a bowl. You know, this year's goal wasn't to win the Pac. I mean, obviously, it was you wanted to win the Pac-12, right. but the realistic expectation <clears throat> was improve enough so that you can get a bowl game, you can get those extra practices. Yeah, that's still attainable. And until that isn't attainable, you still have to play your best players. So the youth movement of, of playing true freshmen and getting guys, you know, reps, and, you know, to start building towards the future, that doesn't happen until your your goals of getting to a bowl game are no longer attainable, and that that might not be until the very end of the season. Well, I think it's also worth mentioning, especially at the running back position, you have a, a player in Royce Freeman who's really, really talented, and, and who I, I'm sure would probably prefer to be on the field playing if he's healthy, right. as opposed to trying to work in a. A young player. Would you like to make our predictions now? Yeah, I, I think you go into this game, and um, we're going to wrap things up with this with this podcast with our predictions. And um, so, if you've got questions, go ahead, drop them in now. Uh, if not, we'll, we're more than likely going to miss those, and we won't be able to address them uh, moving forward. But uh, third straight game, Oregon is going to be an underdog. Uh, on Saturday at UCLA, the, the line opened up seven in favor of the Bruins. It's now dropped anywhere from six to six and a half. Kind of about where I, I was kind of expecting, um, the Ducks to be at. That said, um, the over-under is going to be a high one, apparently, in Vegas, which I just can't. Wait, wait, what's the number? I'm actually curious. 70. Oh, it seems way too high. I can't get behind that. No. I mean, if Oregon's only going to lose by seven, or six and a half, and it's going to be seventy points. I don't, I don't see Oregon scoring twenty nine, you know, twenty nine points uh, or twenty eight points, or whatever it is, uh, yeah. in this game. And UCLA scoring thirty five. I just this offense I, right now. I don't care how bad UCLA's run defense is. I just don't see Oregon scoring twenty eight points. Um, I've actually got Oregon uh, losing this game um, thirty five to twenty one. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really it's really hard for me to pick Oregon to win or or even cover this one to be honest, and maybe that's knee jerk just based upon what we've seen. What I saw in person on Saturday at Stanford, it was a really really difficult football game to watch, and, and honestly a little bit demoralizing just in terms of <laughs> there was a lot of optimism just three weeks ago about this team maybe winning eight games, maybe nine games, and now it's like can they get to six? Can they get to well? Can they get to more than seven points on the on the scoreboard? And I. I I think they'll be better offensively just because it's, you know, and, and we felt this way last week and they, it wasn't the case, but just because of this run game, um, and against a pretty bad, very, 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 very bad, I should say, UCLA run defense. I think Oregon's gonna score a little bit more. Um, I think they'll get two touchdowns and a field goal. I'll say they score 17 points and I think UCLA scores 27. So I have, what, neither of us have Oregon covering, um, 
but both twenty seven seventeen UCLA. Yeah, and and I I, I just think it's going to be a lower scoring game if Oregon's going to even be remotely competitive. It has to be. It has to be. I mean, if 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 I mean, I hate to say it, we're, this is the the reality Oregon's in right now. If, if UCLA scores forty two points, they're going to lose by three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, you you can't ask this team to get into a shootout. It, no, it, it, I mean, it's until they can prove it. I mean, I I certainly think. You know, Oregon could score more than 21 points in this game. I wouldn't be surprised considering UCLA's defense is so bad. True. But I'm not going to count on it until I can see that they can do it. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm asking, you know, I'm asking them to exceed their scoring output from, last two games from the combined. last two games combined. Yeah. And I don't feel confident in that. And you're asking them to equal that. Equal. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is you'll know early on if Oregon has a chance in this football game. I'm not saying that you'll know after the first quarter if you can turn the game off and find something else to do with your Saturday. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, honestly, when Oregon got down 14 nothing at Stanford, it felt like it was almost unattainable. I mean, and that's the sad reality of it. And I think if, if Oregon falls behind by 14 points in that first quarter at UCLA, I think it's going to be very challenging. This is not a team built to play from behind, you know, and it'll it would require the defense playing perfect from then on out and forcing some turnovers in that run game being just absolutely dominant. Um, I don't see any more questions here from Facebook Live, so I think we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, that's going to do it for us uh, for our podcast preview show. Um, I'll be heading down to UCLA Friday morning. Um, the plan is to check out Devin Williams, five-star recruit, uh, receiver out of Antelope Valley High School to check him out and watch him play Friday night. So we possibly will have some stuff from there. Uh, Eric will be at Sheldon South Medford. Hopefully we get some stuff from Chase Coda, uh, four-star recruit that's the son of Chad Coda, former duck, uh, where he kind of leans. So hopefully we get some big information recruiting standpoints uh, this weekend on Friday night going into the game. Yeah. Um, and then throughout Saturday afternoon and then into the evening we'll have – Video analysis, post game reports of the UCLA game, seeing if Oregon can beat their win total from last season. Right. Uh, get to get their fifth win, get one game closer to being bowl eligible, um, cause that's the goal this season. Uh, so stick with us through this entire weekend for Oregon football coverage. Basketball is quickly approaching. We were talking about joking today that, you know, we're gonna have to start doing, you know, game recaps for how <laughs> Products have done in the NBA because there's now five players playing. Um, so there's always going to be something going on at DuckTerritory.com. You can find us on iTunes uh, by searching Duck Territory Podcast. Uh, Eric and I are on there. We're, it's a free podcast. We do twice a week, Mondays. Uh, we release our preview shows on Thursdays. Um, and then if you want to interact with us again and you're listening to us on the podcast version, just go to Facebook.com slash Oregon 247. Like our page. You'll get notifications of whenever we go on live, and you'll be able to interact with us in real time as we record this podcast and uh, get your questions in uh, moving forward. So until we talk to you Monday where we recap UCLA's Oregon game from the Rose Bowl, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.